0: What's going on, Renaissance family? My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors at Renaissance. So grateful you are tuning in with us to our Christmas service 2020. Before we get started in today's service, I want to pray for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for this opportunity and for this time to look at your word. And Lord, I just pray that you would speak to all of us exactly where we are. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I went to a pretty cool high school, And we had some people who had accomplished a lot of really cool things. We had a woman uh, who was an Olympic gold winner in swimming. We had a, a man named Justin Sarkar, who was the number three chess player in the entire world. And then we had me, who had memorized every single episode of Martin and Fresh Prince. Don't leave that out. Now, one day I was in the hallway talking to Justin Sarkar, the number three chess player in the world. And he had just come back from a multi-week trip traveling all over the world and playing chess and the newspapers wrote about him it was a pretty big deal so being the jerk that i was in high school i stopped him in the hallway and said hey justin do you know who the number one chess player in the world is he said yes of course i do i said no no, no it's it's me now justin was a very reserved guy but that day he lit up with a smile and said jordan you are the opposite of a, of a chess master or grandmaster and i said you know what, Justin?" you're lucky you don't have a chess board right now or else if you did, I would show you a thing or two. Then he really broke out into a huge smile and said, well, J- Jordan, you're just in luck. I carry a chess board with me everywhere that I go. Now, immediately my stomach, my stomach sunk because like I, I knew how to play chess, right? I knew the rules of the game, but there was no way on the planet I was going to beat a chess master or a chess grandmaster in chess. So on my way to the cafeteria, as different friends started laughing, knowing what was going to happen, I was going to get embarrassed. I started to think to myself, well, I just need a new strategy because these little moves I've learned on AOL in their chess games, like I'm going to get punished in like five moves if I try that. So I'm just going to like deviate from all, from all of my little beginner moves. And I'm going to do the boldest thing that he has never seen before to hopefully knock him off of his game. Now for the uninitiated in chess, There are a number of pieces. Uh, The most insignificant and most disposable piece is the pawn. Now, pawns are uh, something that you would use to get to a bigger goal. Pawns are expendable. They're disposable. You use them to try to get bigger pieces. But there is one piece that you protect uh, and strategize around. It's, It's your king. Now, what I learned that day is something that is a lesson that I've taken with me in life. The first move I moved, I moved my pawn out and my second move is I started to move my king around the table. Now, an average chess player can anticipate one to two moves ahead. Uh, an expert in chess like Justin can anticipate 20 moves ahead. and But you guys would never guess what happened in this chess move, in, in this chess game. Guys, I, I won. No, I'm kidding. Justin beat me like in four moves and my friends laughed at me for being uh, an idiot to challenge a chess grandmaster to to a game. But I did learn a lesson that day that was very, very valuable. And it's this, you should never treat a king like you do a pawn. You should never treat a king like you do a pawn. Now, this is really interesting because when scripture writers discuss what it was like for Jesus to come to earth, they talk about him being a king. There are four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew, when he sits down to write about Jesus, here's what he says about him. In Matthew 2, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. Now, a thousand times in history, a baby has become a king. But only once has a king become a baby. Now, this Christmas season, what I hope that we are spending time doing, not just today, but hopefully for the rest of the season, is that we are reflecting on how we can receive Jesus Christ this Christmas, not just as a baby, not just in the nativity scene. And we could silence all of the extra things around us and we could focus on him, what it means for him to be a king. And not just a king, but but our king. Now, one of the things that's interesting about life is uh, I've been following Jesus for about 20 years now. And I've noticed times in my life where Jesus was not a king in my life. I, I was using Jesus as a pawn. In other words, I was using Jesus as a tool to get what I really wanted in life. Now I've told this story for those of you who have been around Renaissance for a little bit, but uh, I lost my late wife when I was in my late 20s and man, uh, she had cancer. And uh, for about 10 months, we were praying like crazy and my prayer life was on 1 million. I never went a few hours without praying. Prayer was just a part of my day over and over and over again. Um, I called other people to pray. I, I was fasting. Prayer was like the central piece of my life in my day. And after she passed away, I remember the strangest thing happening to me was that like, I just stopped praying. And some of that was grief. And I think that's a good and natural part where I was just so exhausted and I didn't really know what day it was. But there was another piece about it that alerted me to a deeper problem in my life. And it was that, man, I think for the last number of years, probably for my entire Spiritual life up to that point, Jesus was just a pawn. He was what I was using to get the life that I feel like I wanted. Now, God tells us so many times in scripture that you should pray to Him for healing, for blessings, for opportunities. Um, And God says that He is a good Father and He delights in giving us good gifts. So we should absolutely be praying for God to give us things and to do things in our life. There's a couple of things right now on my prayer list that I'm praying for God to do. But what if God doesn't do those things? Like, think about the thing that you really, really want God to do. Like, what if, what if God doesn't do that? For me, I was like cousin, my cousin Vinny, where it was like, I got no more use for this guy. And I just basically stopped praying. It became, it no longer became useful for me because God didn't give me what I wanted. Now, I've had moments like that and many others that have shown me that in some ways, Jesus was just kind of like a pawn. He was something I was using to get to a greater goal. Now, can I tell you what one of the biggest dangers is for me and probably for you also? It's consumerism. It's this version of cultural Christianity where we just add Jesus to the life that we have already chosen. And in this version of Christianity, which is really not Christianity at all, we're not treating Jesus like a king. We're telling him to come in on our terms, our way, and we're not really inviting him into our lives in the proper way. So today I want us to pause and I want us to think about what it would look like for Jesus to truly be king in our lives. And when even when I say these words, king, I know we live in a democracy and we don't really even have a good idea of what it means to live under a monarchy. And certainly history has shown us so many examples of corrupt kings and the notion of giving the authority of our lives over to someone else is is pretty scary uh when you read the bible there's so many different kings who are just so corrupt and as a matter of fact the king in this story a man named herod was a super corrupt dude herod was so paranoid about people ch- uh trying to t- overtake his throne that he was having his wives and his own children killed and i think when we think back about kings there's so many examples of people who have used their power for themselves. And I think that's what we know when we think about power, that when people have power, they're very likely to abuse it. And when we talk about Jesus as our king, there are pieces of us that are hesitant to truly treat him like a king because we're afraid of being walked over, of being disregarded, of being discounted. But here's the good news. And here's the good news of Christmas. Jesus is not a king like Herod. Jesus is not a king like any king in all of the history books. Jesus is a completely different king who doesn't use his power for himself, but he rather he lays it down for you and I. So there's three things I wanna to talk to you today about, about Jesus, our king, and that I think are highlighted through this Christmas story. Number one, Jesus is the king who comes to us. He doesn't wait for us to come to him. Number two, Jesus understands us. He is not so high and removed that he doesn't understand you and I, and number three, Jesus is the king who sacrifices for us. So number one, Jesus is the type of king that comes to you. The world's oldest still usable bridge is in Greece and it's over 3000 years old. And for thousands of years, human beings have been using bridges whenever there is a separation. And we build bridges to connect two things that were previously separated. Now for thousands of years, even before that, Uh, human beings have been building bridges to God using something called religion. Now, the essence of every single religion in all of the entire world is this. We notice that there is a separation between us and the divine. So we wear certain clothes, we do different dances, we sing certain songs, we say certain types of prayers to hopefully bridge that gap between us and God. I think if you're honest with yourself, even if you're not a religious person, you notice how quickly Self-centeredness and selfishness is a part of you, you and your life and almost every one of your decisions. And if you were thinking about yourself, honestly, I think we would all notice how far we are from the divine. And for thousands of years, different religions have prescribed different ways that you can close that gap. But there is one that builds a bridge and it doesn't start on the human side, but it starts on the divine side where God comes down and he comes to us. That's what the Christmas story is all about. It's that God noticed that there was a separation and it doesn't start on us. Jesus was not waiting in heaven for us to figure it all out, but God came down to us. That's the beauty in the the hope of Christmas. It's that God doesn't demand that you build a bridge on your own and come to him, but rather he comes down to us. The apostle John, he says it like this when he writes about Jesus and his coming on Christmas, he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the type of king that comes to us. He is emphatically the bridge builder and that is great news. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago in our uh, DNA group finale, that that is both humility and hope for us. It's humility because none of us could ever claim that the reason we are close to God is because of us and all of our good works. No, we were so far away that God himself had to come down and bridge that gap. But it's also hope because if it doesn't depend on you, then you and I have an external source in God that God himself is the one who came close and God himself is able to accomplish everything that he wants to do in our lives. So number one, Jesus is a type of king that doesn't wait for you. He comes down to us. The second thing that I want us to all understand this Christmas season that I hope disarms us And whatever apprehension we have is that Jesus is the type of king that understands us. Now, I know in talking to so many different people at Renaissance that life is complicated and there's divorce, there's miscarriage, there's losing your job, there's eviction and losing your apartment, there's being down on yourself for money. There's so many different things that, that weigh us down as people. And one of the things that I've noticed as a recurring theme is a lot of times I'll talk to someone and they'll mention that they talked to someone else in a similar situation. And that actually what was the most encouraging thing for them after the miscarriage, after learning that their child had a disability, after whatever the situation was, that there was someone who understood them. And just by the very nature that that other person understood them, they just felt better. No longer did they feel alone and isolated, And here's the beauty of the Christmas story, and here's the beauty of Christmas, and here's the beauty of Jesus, our King. Jesus, our King, understands us. Whatever it is that you're feeling, Jesus knows what that feels like. Scripture tells us in Hebrews that Jesus, our King, was at all points tempted, and uh, just like we were, right? But he's able to empathize with our weaknesses. So a few years ago, I was listening to an audio book. My wife and I were taking a road trip, and we listened to this book uh, called when breath becomes air, it was an unfinished memoir by a neuro, uh, a neurosurgeon named Paul Kalanithi, and you know, full warning: this book had me straight up shoulder bop crying. You know, on the car on, on the drive, it was a story of a neurosurgeon and uh, who contracted cancer, and he uh, it's unfinished because he died before the book was completed. Now, the book was fascinating for a number of reasons. One. Man, to learn about like how difficult it is to be a brain surgeon, I guess that shouldn't be that you know difficult to understand. Obviously, they're not they're not just letting anybody crack somebody's skull open and start operating, but the amount of work and hours and precision that you need to be to be a brain surgeon, it was really compelling and, and fascinating. But the real crux of the story was him, and uh, when he first learned that he had cancer, he told everyone at the hospital, his superiors, and they said. We want you to make sure you get treated here at our hospital to make sure you get the best care imaginable. And he agreed. Uh, One day after a surgery, he found himself in a recovery room that he had been in a hundred times before. Except this time, he was not the doctor. He was the patient. This time, he was the lonely, scared, in pain patient on the other side of the curtain who would hear the doctors and nurses discussing his case in the hallway. Now, what is the incarnation? What is Christmas telling us? It's telling us something that no other religion would dare ever to say. It's saying that our God is not just the lofty creator who sits far away in heaven, but our God is also the one who came down and knows what it feels like to be in close contact and to feel the weight of human difficulty. There's a scripture that I've gone to uh, many times in life, and particularly, in life's most trying moments. Now, I've never really found a lot of encouragement and consolation from Christian cliches like, God is on a throne, or God is in control. I believe these things to be theologically true, for sure, but none of those things move me emotionally. What has moved me emotionally has been seeing Jesus pray in the garden of Gethsemane. And this is one of the reasons that I love the Bible because if this was not true, they would have never included it here. It's Jesus the sinless savior, uh the son of God praying in the garden of Gethsemane saying, "God, if it's possible, I do not want to drink this cup." What is Jesus praying? He's saying, "God the Father, I know what your will is for me, and I don't want it. I don't want it. I know how difficult it's going to be, and I I don't I don't want to take a sip of this because I know what it's going to be in the end." What is the incarnation? What is Christmas telling us? It's telling us that we have a God who understands to observe what God's will is for their life and says, you know what? That's just too hard. Is there any other way, anything besides this? And that same Jesus who said, Father, if it's possible, please let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Our Jesus understands rejection, pain, loneliness, abandonment, disappointment from his, uh, about his friends, our Jesus understands it all. So much so, Jesus understands what it, what it feels like to feel abandoned by God, his own father. When Jesus was on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So if you have ever hit a point in life where you have felt like God has forsaken you, that God has turned his back on you, our Jesus, our King, he understands. He's a different type of king than any other king in all of history. He's a king that comes to us and he's a king that understands. Now, not only that, but he is also the type of king that uses his power and he lays it down to sacrifice for us. There is a a fable told by uh, an old preacher where it was about a king who one day looked down on uh, the entirety of his kingdom And he saw this one peasant girl, and for whatever reason, he fell in love with her. The king went back to his castle, told his advisors. His advisor said, well, let's just tell her to come to the castle, and we'll make her your queen. Now, the king knew something that we all know in life is that you could never command love. And the king knew that if he were to command her to come to the castle, she would come. She would be obedient, but she probably wouldn't love him. So the king was racking his brain, trying to think about what is a way that he can go to this peasant girl that was dressed in rags, living in huts. And one day in the middle of night, it dawned on him. In order to be with her, he would have to become like her. So in the middle of the night, one night, the king slipped away, took off his royal garbs and went to live in a hut. And he became a peasant. He didn't just take on peasants clothes. He took on the nature of a peasant. He got a job, he begged for food, and one day he got a job uh, adjacent to this one peasant girl, spit his game, and the two fell in love. On the day they were to be married, the peasant girl comes out of her shack dressed only to see this grand procession of, this this royal procession and guards and, and all these different people. And she looks at this man who she thought was also a peasant and realizes him now to be a king. The woman asks him, why were you ready to give up all of that just for me? And he told her he gave it all up so that he could receive her. Now, the Christmas story, the gospel message is not just that God comes to us. It's not just that um, he understands us, but it's also that he was willing to lay down everything in order to bring us back. Paul says like this in Philippians 2, it says Jesus emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. Jesus is a different type of king, that he doesn't just bark out commands from a castle somewhere. Jesus emptied himself and became obedient even to the point of death. He is the type of king that uses his power for our good, not to get us back, but to win us back. Now, this is why the gospel sometimes is almost too good to be true. How is it that I can make so many mistakes in my life? How is it that I could be so far away from God? How is it that I could do all these different things only to receive God's free grace, his power in my life? And what did I do to earn it? Much like that peasant girl, we did nothing to earn it. It's just for whatever reason, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe would not perish, but have everlasting life. So do me a favor, answer me this question. What is the only reasonable response to a king who comes to us, to a king who understands us, to a king who lays down his life and sacrifices his life for us? The only reasonable response is something called worship. Here's what we see in Matthew 2 in the text. Um, The wise men, they had it right. It says, then Herod the king secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They worshiped. Now, a lot of times we limit this concept called worship to something we do on Sunday morning in a church uh, surrounded by people, or now these days, Sunday morning on a a couch. But worship is so much bigger than that. The definition of worship in the Bible is to value or to treasure God above all things. And that can happen Thursday at 2.30. That can happen on your way to the office, that can happen on your way to the bodega. That can happen everywhere as we plan our time, as we plan our money, as we plan what it means to follow Jesus in our life, where we value him, not just obey him, but where we value him above all things. And more than anything, I hope this Christmas season, we are worshiping and valuing and treasuring Jesus above all things. Now, we know a lot of you are new uh, to Renaissance and also new to faith, and we want to walk alongside you. So, if you are new and you want a pastor or some of one of our staff members to reach out to you, we would love for you to fill out a connection card. You can do that by texting HARLEM uh, to nine four zero zero zero. that's three zeros, uh, text HARLEM to 9400 so we can get connected and uh, you can check a box on taking your next step in faith to follow Jesus. And for all of us, regardless of where you are in, in your faith journey, our hope for us this year is that in all of the busyness of Christmas, we slow down. And in all of the things that could take our attention, we fight to give our attention and our time to Jesus, our King, who is certainly deserving of all. I pray that this year, this Christmas season, we slow down and we remember. Let me pray for us. So Heavenly Father, I pray that this Christmas season, we would run at a pace, slow enough to, to treasure you. That in all of the things going on, Lord, We would not forget you. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.